The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Education and Community Programs at the Pittsburgh Symphony because I love the Pittsburgh Symphony. I actually, I have season tickets to uh, the symphony and uh, I'm all about promoting it, but we're doing something very, very, very special. Um, and Jesse Weisfield, how about if you tell everyone about it? Sure. First of all, thank you so much for having me today, Joyce. Really appreciate it. Um, and so what Joyce is referring to is our first ever sensory-friendly concert, which also happens to be one of the first sensory-friendly concerts done by an American orchestra, and that's Celebrate Pittsburgh, which is going to be happening on Saturday, June 27th. And we're really, really excited about this concert because it's something that is open to people of all ages, all abilities, and there's, but there's going to be some special modifications in place to make the concert environment perhaps a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more welcoming for patrons who have autism spectrum disorders, sensory sensitivities, and other disabilities. So basically what we're hoping to offer is the exact same artistic product you would see at any PSO concert in an environment that's a little bit more inclusive. And so just to kind of talk about how this might be different than, a regu- than one of our typical concerts, one thing that we're going to be, have, be having is some relaxed house rules. So that means that People can clap to the music at any time. They can get up and dance, sing, vocalize, respond however they'd like to. Um, so, because we really want everybody to feel comfortable at the event. In addition, we're going to have the house lights up so that people can move about the hall freely as, as needed. Some other things are going to be in place to help people who might get a little bit overwhelmed by all the noise and the sights at the at the concert. So, for instance, we're going to be having some quiet rooms where patrons can go if they just like to do some coloring, some quiet activities for a while. We're also going to be handing out fidgets and some earplugs and noise-canceling headphones for patrons, too. And, also, and, and then a little bit about the concert itself. So, as I said, the theme of the concert is Celebrate Pittsburgh, and it's going to be led by our resident conductor, Lawrence Lowe. And we put together a really exciting program that has a little bit of something for everyone. So we have some classical pieces like the Blue Danube Waltz to represent the three rivers of Pittsburgh. And then we have things like Mr. Rogers Medley, like um, a Mr. Rogers Medley with pieces from the show featuring Joe Negri, who is Handyman Negri, for those of you who watch the show. Then we'll also have tap dancers doing Singing in the Rain, um, uh, on an, homo- an homage to Pittsburgh native Gene Kelly, and that will feature the Pittsburgh CLO Academy tap dancers and vocalist Katie Williams. And then in addition, we're really hoping to celebrate the audience, too. So the audience is going to have some opportunities to participate in the concert by conducting during the last piece, Stars and Stripes Forever, and then also by singing along to Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. 
One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than three million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's practical, positive solutions for a happy, empowered, and successful life. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. My name's Ken, and I am as general a contractor as you'll find. I do kitchen remodeling, additions, plumbing, painting. Ken does it all. And I'm Mandy. The owner of the UPS store in my neighborhood. And Mandy here does it all, too. She handles Ken's packing and shipping. Because when you're remodeling a bathroom and a client changes their mind on a light fixture or a mirror, Mandy packs it up and ships it out. She also helps Ken promote his business, like with these new brochures we printed, new business cards. And the flyers are great, too. In fact, when I'm at a job and I'm expecting a delivery? I signed for it. I even let him know with a text or email. Since I got a mailbox at the UPS store. I have to say, as much as I love being on my own, I'm not alone. I've got Mandy here. To help with the heavy lifting? Well, figuratively speaking. To find a locally owned center near you, visit the UPSstore.com. We love small businesses. We love logistics. The UPS Store franchise locations are independently owned and operated. Services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary by location. See center for details. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. Hey, everyone. We're back. Sorry if this has sounded a little off, but I don't know what was going on. must have a major storm somewhere because I was having uh, a little difficulty hearing everything, and I didn't want you to miss Jesse, Jesse Ryan, with the Pittsburgh Symphony, who's the manager of education and community programs. Jesse, June 27th, right? Yes, June 27th. The concert will start at 2.30, and then we have some pre-concert activities like a sound exploratorium, kinesthetic room, and resource fair, and that will start at 1.15 p.m. And it's a sensory-friendly concert. Right. And tell them what you mean by that. So with our sensory-friendly concert, basically it's something open to people, all ages, all abilities, but um, there are going to be some environmental modifications to accommodate people with autism spectrum disorders and a range of different sensory sensitivities. So for those who might be overwhelmed by too much noise, they'll have the option to go out to some quiet rooms and do some activities during the performance, or they'll be able to put on some earplugs or headphones. And then, of course, um, for the sound exploratorium and other things where you can really get up close to the instruments and try things out that we're hoping will appeal to people who really like sounds and all kinds of sensory stimulation. So that's what we mean by the sensory friendly. And discounted ticket rates, correct? Correct. So tickets are 15 and $25, but if you have a group of 10, of 10 or more, you'll get a 20% discount. Now listen, everyone. This is great for us, for the disability community. You've got to spread the word. You've got to tell everyone to go because I'm going to be telling everyone to go as I am right now, June 27th, 230, Pittsburgh Symphony with this fabulous community opportunity. Don't miss it. I love them. They're doing a great thing. Jesse, thank you for being with us. 
Thank you, Joyce. All right. Okay, now, hey, we're going to go on to our main guest here who have so patiently been waiting uh, while we talked about the Pittsburgh Symphony, but I am so excited. Oh, it's so thrilling for me. First time I've ever had father-son on the radio show in 12 years since we started, and not only do we have one of my closest friends who is an internationally known epileptologist and author, and I tell everyone he is my special doctor, uh, and you'll hear why later, and that would be Dr. Steve Schachter, who I love so much, and his brilliant son and film director, Dave Schachter, and I did see the movies and the trailer, and they are spectacular. Welcome to the show, Dave and Steve. Thank you, Joyce. This is Steve. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Yeah, I I, uh, understand there's some uh, heavy weather across the country. (laughs) Yes, and we noticed that heavy weather across the country, but... Here in Pittsburgh, beautiful weather, even though this isn't where the studio is. But we have you now very clear, and that's what matters to me. So, Steve, I'm starting with you. How about if you tell your listeners about your background and also what led you to have this focus on epilepsy? Well, thanks again, Joyce. It's really a pleasure and honor for me to be with you today and uh also a special treat for me to be on the same show as my son, David, who's calling in from New York today. I'm in Boston. And, uh, you know, not only is this a first for you, uh, father-son combination, but it's a first for me, too. So it's, it's very thrilling for me. Um, this, is, well, this is Dave here. I just want to say that this is my first radio show, too. So a uh-huh. lot of really exciting things going on. So thanks for having us, Joyce. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you, and we have a great listening audience. As a matter of fact, a few weeks ago, we had the Secretary of Labor, Secretary Perez, on, and uh, we, we just we've had such a great, such a great show. And I have to tell you, uh, Dave, I love your father. So, take it away, Steve. You were saying Thanks, about your background. And you know the feeling is mutual, and you're you're such a special person. I know all your listeners know that, but I can't say it enough. Um, so I uh, I'm a neurologist. I have been in Boston at Harvard Medical School for well, as a matter of fact, Thursday night I have my 30th anniversary party. Wow! And <laughs> uh, I have dedicated my whole career to taking care of people with epilepsy. Um, all different facets of epilepsy, including new treatments, um, and also trying in different ways to give people with epilepsy a voice um, in a platform um, to increase awareness and understanding. I've done that with some books uh, called Brainstorms, which, which are the writings of people with epilepsy, and another book that has the artwork of people with epilepsy, whatever is the form of communication, the point is to increase awareness in our society about epilepsy, about people who happen to have epilepsy and how capable and wonderful they can be. And, uh, uh, in fact, that is part of the message to uh, the film Last Pyramid we'll be talking about in just a minute. And you know... Uh, these books that Steve is talking about, that he's authored, guess where that money goes to? To the National Epilepsy Foundation. I mean, I'm telling you what he's like. And before I talk about him, I have to tell our story. Okay, here's our story. When I first got on the board of the Epilepsy Foundation many years ago, Um, And you all know I ultimately became the chair of the board, but this was actually my very first meeting. So I walk in, I sit down. Not long into this, uh, this doctor's talking about how 
you know, research is more important than quality of life, and we have to emphasize that. And even though it was my first meeting, I tried to hold it in, but couldn't, and here goes this volcano, and I said everything I thought. And this man sitting to my right leaned over, grabbed my wrist, and said, I need to take your pulse. And that was Steve Schachter, who still to this day says to me, do I need to take your pulse? And I know he has a big smile on his face while I'm telling this story. But I will not forget that. And um, he's, just, he's just wonderful. He's done so much. Uh, and Steve, you know how shocked people are when I have recently, over the past year and a half, told people that one in 26 people will have epilepsy in their lifetime, and in addition to that, as you well know, there are people that won't even talk about living with epilepsy, um, even though so many people have epilepsy or will have epilepsy. Why do you think that is? Because, you know, even recently, here I am, I'm speaking at a company, and afterwards someone takes me aside, this executive, and says, you know, I have epilepsy. You know, I just don't talk about it. I mean, this happens to me frequently. People tell me that, um, which I'm sure you very well know that. So, Steve, what do you think is the reason? Oh, gee, um, great question, Joyce. And um, undoubtedly, there's many, many reasons, um, you know, that apply in different people's situation, maybe different one to the next. You know, it's... Epilepsy is one of those conditions that have been around for thousands of years and, um, you know, would have looked the same to somebody as far as a grand mal or what we call a convulsive type of seizure would have looked pretty similar, you know, 2,000 years ago as it does today. And so people really have been aware of this for that length of time. So you'd think by now it would be well accepted by the public um, you know, and that there would be no hesitation for people who have epilepsy today to discuss it with others. But um, unfortunately, over all these centuries, uh, epilepsy in certain parts of the world and amongst certain people has been associated with negative negativity, you know, evil spirits and so forth. And so there's been this stigma and this uh, you know, misperception about what epilepsy is, um, you know, instead of viewing it strictly as a medical condition, which it is, people you know, in different parts of the world and all shapes and sizes have at times thought it was due to other things besides a medical condition. And so, as a result, people with epilepsy have been stigmatized, have been uh, taken advantage of, or, you know, have been denied, you know, their rights as people um, on the basis of their having epilepsy. And so, you know, between that and also, you know, it can be embarrassing and uncomfortable to happen to have a seizure in public. And uh, so between that and the risks people may take by disclosing it to their employers or to school or whoever it might be, um, the uh, fact that 1 in 26 have epilepsy comes as a surprise because um, the average person may not know that many people who have epilepsy. And, and that's why our work um, with the Epilepsy Foundation, what the Epilepsy Foundation does each and every day across this country, why that's so important. That's why films like Last Pyramid also are so important to raise awareness and to bring a human face to the condition so that we can finally, after all these years, get past this so that people can um, go on with their lives and seek the help they need and uh, achieve, you know, live up to their potential. Well, you know, one last question about this, Steve, that I wanted to ask you is in reference to SUDEP, Sudden Unexplained Death in Epilepsy. And, you know, I'll tell you, until maybe... No, I don't know, five years ago on the board. I mean, of course, I heard about it, you know, over the years, but, like, not much. You know, it wasn't talked about a lot, at the, even at the board of directors meeting. And um, I, I even know doctors that have told 
people, well, they don't want to tell them because, you know, then they'll spend their life being afraid about this. And it doesn't happen to that many people. Um, So why do you think that is? Well, another great question, Joyce. And, you know, we probably uh, should explain a little bit about SUDEP for our listeners. As you say, it stands for Sudden Unexpected Death in Epilepsy, and it refers to a situation which is fortunately rare, um, but even one is too many, where somebody with epilepsy, um, typically it's somebody who has a lot of seizures despite taking medication, um, but where they will die totally unexpectedly. In other words, there was no known other disease that, you know, um, could have accounted for the death, and also where there's no witness. Um, And typically this happens during the night. And uh, it's estimated to occur in about one, approximately one in 1,000 adults, for example, with epilepsy over the course of a year. But uh, while it happens rarely, it shouldn't, you know, obviously one is too many. And so the good news is that the epilepsy community increasingly is now speaking out about this and has uh, pressed the medical community for answers um, so that we can have ways to prevent it. And the medical community has listened. It is now, I think, uh, very focused on learning more about SUDEP so that these tragic deaths um, can be prevented and so that we can pick people who might be at risk Excuse me, and, and develop ways to prevent it from happening. Now, SUDEP is uh, one of uh, several different causes of fatal complications from epilepsy, and another one which occurs all too often is drowning. And the CDC, the um, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in this country, uh, has recently published a paper um, based on their research that shows that one of the most common causes of death among children and young adults with epilepsy is drowning. And that um, ties in to the tragedy that is um, documented in the last pyramid. Right. Uh, Yeah. Well, thank you for what you're doing uh, to try to make a difference. And, boy, that's a good segue into our conversation with David, uh, which absolutely phenomenal film and by the way congratulations on winning the film of the year at the northern virginia international film festival what a great thing congratulations david thank you so much yeah i mean receiving this award is really a tremendous honor well how about if you tell our listeners what made you decide? What did you want? Why did you want to be a film director and a producer? I mean, what what led you down that road to become interested in doing this? Sure. Well, you know, as far as far back as I can remember, I've always been drawn to film and animation, and you know, those as forms of art and storytelling. Um, I studied film and animation and video at the Rhode Island School of Design in Providence, which many know as RISD. And I really appreciated that curriculum, um, focusing on understanding and harnessing, you know, the student's creative voice. And after graduating in 2008, I worked for a small video animation boutique in uh, Boston, where I often assumed the role as producer and videographer and editor, and uh, for various, you know, short-form video projects. And I was also able to do some project managing Uh, for large-scale work such as projection mapping, which is really fun. And I think all of this, you know, experience um, as a producer prepared me for, you know, what I realize I really, what I really want to do, which is to work on films, you know, short films, um, but mainly feature films. And that led me to actually work on my my first film as a producer uh, for a feature, which is called Homemakers and takes place in Pittsburgh. But We'll, uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, and we'll stay focused on Last Pyramid for now. Right, and uh, speaking of that film, you know The Last Pyramid. I actually met 
the star of that film at uh, Patricia Barnes, and I know how overwhelmed she was uh, about this, but the Epilepsy Foundation and Hollywood star Greg Rumberg, who also works a lot with the uh, foundation, helped you make this film, The Last Pyramid. Why don't you tell our listeners about that film, what it's based on, and, and uh, what happened? Sure, exactly. Yes, yeah, so Last Pyramid um, is a documentary short film produced by the Epilepsy Foundation and Greg Rumberg, who is one of the film's executive producers. And really, you know, he served as a great resource and consultant for um, uh, pre-production and post-production, post-production once we had, you know, a few edits of the film to show him and take a look at. For listeners out there who don't know Greg, you know, he's an act, a famous actor. He's in the sh- was in the show Heroes, and he's also in the upcoming, the new uh, Star Wars film, The Force Awakens. But um, Last Pyramid, you know, it tells the story of Patricia Barnes, who, as we've talked about, you know, her son tragically dried, uh, uh, tragically drowned uh, due to an epilepsy-related um, uh, seizure, and that was in 2001. And, you know, she just thought that her life was over. And one day she awoke with this urge to create a a series of stained glass pyramids, um, having never even worked with stained glass before. Um, Thirteen years and 20 pyramids later, Trish decided to complete the final piece, the final pyramid, and move forward from her loss. So um, this, this film is a story of healing through creation. And Les Pyramid chronicles Trisha's journey from uh, tragedy to triumph as she finishes her final tribute to her son, Kevin. So, um, you know, creating this film really just is, it was just such an honor to meet Trish and spend time with her. You know, we spent um, about eight days in Maine uh, filming with her, and it was just a really organic and... um, you know, fun process working closely with Trish and with our small team, which really just included myself, uh, cinematographer Ben Powell, and uh, writer and script supervisor Samantha Mocker, who just um, was able to bring so much to the project by looking at the footage that we were gathering while we were there and being able to sort of help us understand, you know, what kind of story we were telling. It is beautifully filmed. And what is so remarkable to me is the story you told about, you know, one day she wakes up and, and it's in her mind this decision to have these stained glass pyramids. And yet, this is not something she was doing. And I must tell you, they're beautiful. And I know that they have been uh, sold, some of them for, you know, really good amount of money, which is so wonderful with what she's trying to do to bring, you know, attention to epilepsy and SUDEP. And I have to tell you, that is really a great film. That is one of my questions now. How does someone view these films? Um, well, you know, part of the goal with creating this film um, was to reach a much larger audience. You know, I, I think that um, my hope is that everybody in the epilepsy community will um, be able to see this film and embrace it. But what I wanted to do was make something that could, um, you know, that's relatable to a much larger, you know, global audience. And so my hope is that everybody can see it. But at least I, I'm encouraged to know that, you know, this film will be used um, for various fundraising events. Um, you know, we've been talking about what can we use this film for, and, you know, we're, we're open to all options. But in the least, um, I think that on June 27th, I believe, and hopefully I get the state right, um, Greg Grumberg will be co-hosting a uh, 12-hour netathon, which is similar to a telethon, but it's online, and it's using a video streaming platform called Twitch.tv. So... Uh, Greg will be hosting, and, you know, the goal of this netathon is to raise awareness for epilepsy and um, to do some fundraising. And as part of that, um, we're hoping that we can include Last Pyramid and be able to show it, you know, maybe two to four times during this 12-hour block, or at least uh, be able to show, you know, two to three-minute clips of the film. 
So that that would probably you know be our first chance to use the film for um, fundraising. But I think you know we're going to be able to to do that quite often um, in the future. Yeah, I see that film at the Tribeca Film Festival, David. <laughs> that would be that's uh, right. And I have been to that. I mean, you know, this documentary, excellent. And you also have barge and homemakers, um, and like barge, you you can you know the, these films are out there, excellent. Uh, but first, barge. How, how did, what made you decide to do that? And tell everyone what it's about. Sure. Well, I'll start by saying, so, you know, the films that you're referencing, Barge and Homemakers, are two feature films that I've produced, and um, um, Barge was, both of the films were directed by two dear friends and collaborators of mine. Um, Barge was directed by uh, Ben Powell, and Homemakers was directed by Colin Healy, and we all went to RISD together and graduated together and have continued to make work together, which, you know, is just an amazing privilege for me. Um, but yeah, Barge, um, you know, like I said, Ben Powell, the director, and I are good friends and collaborators, and this was just an opportunity to work together. And um, the film is a feature-length documentary, and it's a cinema verite um, exploration of the Mississippi River following a crew of barge workers during a uh, month-long, month-long hitch um, down the river bound for New Orleans. So this kind of tells the story of um, how the jobs that they're doing um, contribute to the this you know American supply chain, um, and it presents an intimate portrait of you know American ambition. And um, Ben is from Mississippi, so um, he grew up watching these barges you know pass by on the river, and just was always deeply fascinated with them. So this was sort of his his way of uh, telling that story. And I think it, yeah, it really opens audiences' eyes up to just kind of the amount of goods that are transported via barge and barges, you know, just that so many raw materials, um, coal, grain, fertilizer, you know, wheat, those kinds of things are just going up and down the river at, you know, three miles per hour, and it's actually really important. <laughs> it's the backbone of, you know, um, sort of, America in many ways. So um, it's been a huge honor to be able to work on this film and promote it at all the festivals that we've been able to go to, including our premiere, which was at South by Southwest in Austin. Um, And it went on to play at such festivals as Full Frame in Durham, North Carolina, which is an incredible documentary festival. And it won a grand jury prize for best documentary at the Dallas International Festival and got honorable mention for for Best Documentary at the Ashland Film Festival in uh, Oregon. So it's been an incredible ride, and, you know, I feel like it's just getting started. Um, We're going to be playing at festivals all over the country and possibly, you know, the globe. Um, So it's really exciting. It is exciting, and I have to tell you, since we have three rivers in Pittsburgh, I, too, have been fascinated with it. That's why I love this uh, film. You know, I would always see these barges, and I would always say to my husband, like, when it's uh, extremely cold, that, oh, can you imagine being on that barge and, you know, wondering what they transport, because I see them all the time, you know, because of the three rivers. So I thought that was fascinating, as is the other film, Homemakers, what a beginning that has. Uh, Do you want to talk about this Pittsburgh film? Absolutely, yeah. So Homemakers was the first feature film that I've ever worked on, again, with both of these collaborators, Colin Healy, who wrote and directed the film, and Ben Powell, who shot the film, um, along with a lot of incredibly other talented people. Um, Homemakers is a narrative feature, so this one is fiction, um, about a uh, punk singer who finds herself kind of re-examining her life after she inherits the dilapidated row house in Pittsburgh. And so it kind of um, follows her as she's, you know, working on this house and sort of better understanding herself in the process. Um, And that was actually, you know... I did take a short trip to Pittsburgh briefly before we filmed, but 
I didn't really get to know Pittsburgh until we were deep into production, and it's just such an amazing, you know, lovely and cinematic place, and I'm just so glad that we were able to film there. And, you know, it always kind of warms my heart whenever a native Pittsburgh viewer sees the film and compliments us on our portrayal of Pittsburgh. Um, but, you know, it um, won the Audience Award at the 2014 Independent Film Festival in Boston, and it won the Jury Prize for Best uh, Narrative Feature at the 2014 Lone Star Film Festival and was also the opening night film at the Three Rivers Festival last year. Well, congratulations. So, That's awesome. Thanks. Now, now, where can this film be seen? Where can, where can it be where, seen? Where can people go see this movie? So we're actually in the midst of working on a distribution deal for homemakers, um, and I can say that the film will be um, out there and available, um, I think, at the end of August. Uh, we're not exactly sure when the date is yet, but I think it's going to be in August. So, Well, you have um, to let us know so I can announce it. Yeah, I mean, you know, listeners out there can follow both films um, online. We update our, you know, Facebooks and everything pretty regularly, but for homemakers, they can go to homemakersmovie.com, and for Barge, they can go to bargefilm.com. Okay. Well, and as I said, when it is released, you make sure you tell me so I can announce that so people go see it because it is so good. And, of course, being that it's in Pittsburgh, of course we want to tell everyone about it. (laughs) So, Steve, how are you liking this, hearing your son on here? (laughs) It's wonderful. It's unbelievable, really, you know, to to watch your child, you know, uh, grow up and become successful and productive and bring joy to other people. Um, you know, it's it's truly a blessing, and I know not everybody is that fortunate to have healthy children. Uh, so many parents in this country have children with serious medical conditions, including epilepsy. And, you know, I think the, the pain that Trish went through um, with the loss of her son in uh, how she um, arose from that darkness and is now, you know, making the world a better place for all people with epilepsy um, through telling her story and through sale of her um, pyramids, which, um, you're right, they, she's dedicated all 20 of these, the first 20 of these pyramids to the Epilepsy Foundation and um, is selling them each for $50,000, so... Uh, the goal is to raise one million dollars for research, and she's already um, sold four to wonderfully uh, generous um, donors who have um, purchased the first four. So um, she's well on her way. Wow! Wow! Well, what? And she is a wonderful person, as I said. Um, so, Steve, what do you hope? that film accomplishes in the epilepsy community. And once again, I know my listeners know, but I am living with epilepsy, um, but I'm not ashamed I'm living with epilepsy, but sadly many people are. So what are some of the things, Steve, you hope that film does for the community? Well, and I think... uh David and I just experienced this firsthand this past, what's today, Tuesday? Just a couple of days ago, it was shown at an epilepsy meeting in Miami, just north of Miami, hosted by the Epilepsy Foundation um, of Florida and National Epilepsy Foundation. And the room was packed with folks who themselves had epilepsy or were family members. And Trish was there, and David was there, and Sam Mocker, and uh, uh, everyone associated with the film. And can I tell you that uh, when the film was over, everyone rose to their feet uh, and gave Trish a, a standing ovation that seemed to last forever. And there were very few dry eyes in the whole room. And, you know, I think that shows the power of stories um, and how important it is for people with epilepsy to be able to tell their stories um, families to be able to tell their stories because it raises awareness 
in society in such a significant way. Uh, and when you see the film, you, you see how uh, David and his colleagues were able to do that in a way that is not frightening, is not threatening. It increases understanding. It increases empathy. It makes the viewer, whatever their previous experience with epilepsy, want to do something to, to make the world a better place, to enable people with epilepsy, whatever their age, to live up to their full potential. And I think, too, by Trish... Um, as an example of someone who was out there telling her story through this film and through talks and, and yourself, Joyce, and telling the world about your epilepsy, that these are role models. You're, you're a role model to, to other people who may be hesitant to talk about their own epilepsy and others to talk about the um, fatal consequences of epilepsy, such as drowning and SUDEP and to acknowledge all the different aspects of this condition because films like Last Pyramid, um, they what they do is to shine a bright light of hope and empowerment into otherwise what could be a very dark um, place. And so, you know, our hope is that um, this film is only the first of a number of efforts to um, add to what folks like yourself and Greg Grumberg, who you know has talked about his son's epilepsy, and others who are out there in public talking about this, that we um, raise awareness to a point where the kind of uh, hesitancy uh, or you know secrecy that people live under um, simply because they have a medical condition that that becomes a thing of the past. Now, like with her son. He was this a result of SUDEP, or was this just a result of drowning? I mean, how did this happen? He was swimming, and uh, perhaps the most powerful scene in the movie is when Trish and her very good friends uh, revisit the dock and the the uh, pond where Kevin drowned, and so he 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 drowned. And as I said earlier, that uh, is unfortunately one of the most common causes of death among young people with epilepsy Um, and it needs to be talked about and needs to you know parents and uh, you know camp counselors and anyone around a swimming pool or swimming pond or hole needs to needs to be aware of this and to take precautions against the possibility of of, uh, drowning tragedy and, of course, this occurs because the person is unconscious with having a seizure. That's right. And there isn't, um, you know, sufficient safeguards in place um, for that circumstance to save that individual's life. Which is so horrible. Now, I want to tell you about Patricia Barnes. She and David, you could be saving lives. So how how about that, David? Is that powerful? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, that would I mean, be to an me, incredible achievement with this film. Yeah, to me, there isn't anything as powerful as saving a life. And you know, I have met people, and their you know child has seizures, but maybe they went for a while not having a seizure where they think, oh, they don't need to take their medication. Or just as your father said, people who are really not conscious uh, about, you know, their child swimming in a pool or a lake, whatever it is, that, you know, they don't think about that. And this film will have the impact that it could save a life. And I can't think of anything more powerful, and I thank you so much for doing this. Well, thank you so much for saying that. And, yeah, I mean, I think what we're able to do with this film, you know, is to, it's not really about the science behind epilepsy. It's really about how this impacts people emotionally and, you know, not just those who have epilepsy, but those who are affected by epilepsy, as in family members, you know, fathers, mothers, siblings, um, and I think through, you know, 
watching this portrait of a mother who's lost a child, uh, you know, I, my hope is that, and I know that it's a tragic story, and unfortunately a lot of people have um, their own tragic stories, but it's one that many people can relate to, and, and I think that, you know, whether they've experienced something like Trish or know someone who has, my hope is that with this film, you know, we can make a really huge impact beyond just the epilepsy community, but around the whole world to show that, um, you know, that despite <clears throat> going through tragedy, there is, there is hope, but there's also this level of awareness that we need to um, engage in. And, and I hope that the film can prompt people to um, get to know epilepsy enough to want to do research. Well, I just think you're a champion because I think this is so powerful because, remember, it's produced by the, uh, uh, for the Epilepsy Foundation. So I know that it has how to contact the Epilepsy Foundation. Even when I've read articles about uh, this film, at the end it would say, uh, and here is how you contact the Epilepsy Foundation. So... You know, I mean, this is going to cover so many things and help so many people. Um, and, and, you know, I hope everyone listening gets to see it. Um, and we're just going to have to make sure that the affiliates show this because it is such a powerful, powerful film. Steve, there you are. How about you? You've accomplished so much in your life. It's unbelievable. I mean, just so you all know, this man is known internationally, and he is so respected and so highly thought of and so accomplished. So I have to ask you, Steve, what would you consider your greatest accomplishment? <laughs> well, uh, Joyce, after we've all listened to my son, David, uh, uh, you can understand that my greatest accomplishment, along with my wife, Sue is raising our two wonderful sons, David and his brother, Michael. And a close second is being able to call you my good friend. Oh, you were... Well, the feeling is mutual, as probably everyone can tell, uh, that's listening to the show today. But I can see why you feel that way. But you have saved lives, Steve Schachter. You have helped so many people and so many families, um, including me. And let me tell you, there isn't one time you, that I have asked him a question that he didn't stop and go into that doctor mode, and, you know, and listen and want to help me. Um, so, you know, we just all think so highly of you. And David, how about you? What would you consider your greatest accomplishment? <laughs> well, first, I just want to thank my father. I mean, that's really means the world to me to hear you <laughs> say that. So, uh, but I also want to thank you because you've given me the opportunity to do uh, so much already with my life and my career and just, you know, all of this kind of culminating and leading to being able to make Last Pyramid um, just really means a lot to me. Um, but, you know, maybe... Making Last Pyramid, I could say, is my greatest accomplishment. If you really believe that this film can save lives, then I, I stand behind that. Yeah. And, um, and, yeah. and, I mean, as I already said, how powerful is that and what, you know, what that can accomplish and has, I'm sure, already. Uh, but, and it is. What a powerful story that is. What a powerful story. So, Joyce, you um, know, I, I think that what yes, I would add is that Trisha's um, rebirth, as she puts it in the film, from Kevin's passing is another life saved. It, it, in a way, the film is really also documenting the saving of her life and how productive and generous she um, has been in her rebirth to people with epilepsy, and I think that's an, that is also a very powerful story of hope and, um, you know, learning to um, overcome tragic circumstances and rise above that to um, be able, as Trish has done now, to impact people around the world 
uh, who themselves have epilepsy or who are trying to uh, overcome their own individual um, personal tragedy and, and uh, circumstances. Yeah. Oh, you're not kidding. Wait, it is. It is saving a life. You're right. That really is this, uh, because what a terrible thing she went through. Well, David, how, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Well, you know, I as all of these films become available to the public, we'll certainly be in touch and let you know, um, especially in regards to Last Pyramid. So, you know, if people just want to keep an ear and an eye out for it, we're hoping to. Um, make it publicly available towards the end of the summer into early fall. And and hopefully, you know, we can participate in Greg Grunberg's um, Netathon in June and be able to start to slowly share the, the film with people because, I, you know, I think it is a really important film and hopefully we can get it out as soon as possible. Um, we are also playing more festivals, which is exciting. Um, I can't really speak to any specifically, but we're going to be able to bring the movie back home to Maine, which is where the story takes place. So uh, we'll be playing in at least one film festival in Maine, and that'll be really exciting. And just on another, you know, another note, something I'd like to impart to the listeners is just I want to encourage people to support independent film and to take chances on films and watch more films. And um, there's so many incredible, provocative, and progressive films coming out every year and ones that don't, you know, necessarily have recognizable names attached to them and can get maybe lost in the shuffle. So i just like to say, you know, I think if there are movie lovers out there, just take more chances and watch more independent film. And we'll be seeing that film in Pittsburgh because one way or another we're going to get that in Pittsburgh at our independent film studio and oh I so agree with what you've said well David and Steve thank you for being with us thank you Joyce let's hope this isn't your last father son or mother daughter show uh, this was a lot of fun and we have you to thank for that thank you so much you're, you're, you're welcome well we end every show with a quote from someone that has had an impact on the world and that quote today has to be Tony Quello, who said, epilepsy does not define me, but epilepsy has helped me do something great with my life. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.